So you guys, you know, as EDPTs coming in, like I said, you have that, that time and that touch that is so invaluable that um, is being taken away from physicians that, you know, 50 years ago, maybe we did <laughs> used to have that. Um, and it's, it's not there now. And so you guys would, your presence in the ED would probably, if you could do a before and after study uh, on um, implementation of an EDPT, would probably see that you are decreasing uh, the number of x-rays and CTs and MRIs that are ordered on these patients without any change in outcomes. Hi everyone, welcome to In the ED Now, where we make you an expert emergency department physical therapist. I'm Dr. Rebecca Griffith, the ED DPT. Today we're talking with Dr. Brandon Morchetti, a DPT turned emergency medicine physician. Today he'll tell you how to demonstrate your value and best communicate with the medical team in a really unusual environment. Thank you for being here with us. Well, of course. Thanks for reaching out. I'm excited to be here. Do you want to like share your background? I mean, because I think everybody who's listening right now is like, wait a minute, what? Like, how did you get from here to here and all the steps in between? And what do you do now? Uh, well, um, aside from the fact that I couldn't figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. So now my, my initial plan from day one was to be a physical therapist. That's what I wanted to be when I started college. Um, I grew up playing baseball. I was around a lot of PTs and athletic trainers. And I love that uh, kind of sports environment. And the, the rehab seemed to be kind of a natural uh, progression both my parents were in the medical field and I had no desire to do medical school at the time. So uh, in fact, I'd, I wanted to be a physical therapist for the St. Louis Cardinals, if that uh, tells I mean, you. Who doesn't? <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> right. So um, being in college during the um, terrorist attacks of September 11th kind of changed my course a little bit in a way that I was not expecting. Um, that was my sophomore year um, of college. And um, it started making me think about how I could give back to my community. And I started to get interested in EMS. So I went to my local fire department at the time. I got trained as a firefighter and got my EMT certification. And it was just going to be something that I was doing on the side as I worked my way through college and eventually through PT school. But it was really surprising to me how much I actually enjoyed EMS and I found myself picking up more and more shifts on the ambulance and eventually expanded my training to become a paramedic. Um, but I, at the time I continued on uh, with PT school and my plan was to stop doing EMS when I graduated PT school. But of course I kept doing it part-time. I was working maybe a couple weekends a month on the ambulance while doing Monday through Friday in the clinic and the PT clinic. And I just really enjoyed that emergent patient population, you know, that undifferentiated patient um, and the challenges that were, that came along with a rapid evaluation and treatment of, you know, the potentially life-threatening conditions. And at first, maybe it was just the adrenaline junkie uh, phenomenon, yeah. phenomenon that you I always hear about. That. <laughs> Uh, but that definitely wore off after a couple of years, but the excitement for treating that patient population continued. And after about four years of doing that and meeting a ton of EM physicians, obviously I was in a lot of ERs, um, working with a lot of uh, primary care physicians and orthopedic docs that were feeding me referrals and talking about, you know, things, and, you know, what did you do this weekend? Oh, well, I had a traumatic CPR, you know, what'd you do this weekend? <laughs> 
So, you know, I went to Target. So, yeah. <laughs> so I decided uh, to apply to medical school and accidentally got in and um, accidentally. Yeah. And, you know, worked my way up to an emergency medicine and an EMS physician. Um, and I still enjoyed working as a PT. Um, I, I did work part-time as a PT all throughout med school as well. Um, I enjoyed uh, helping my PT patients. Uh, I enjoyed the relationships that I'd build with them over time. That's definitely not something you get in the ER. Uh, there's mm -hmm. no continuity of care mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, but yeah, I kept working on the ambulance a couple nights a week uh, throughout most of med school and then would do acute care PT on uh, the weekends, usually about two weekends a month throughout all of med school. That's crazy. Like, I can't even imagine trying to do all of those things at the same time. And I like to do a lot of things. So that's a lot of things. I, had, I went to med school with two kids already and, um, you know, they like to eat. I, I couldn't get them to stop eating. So I had to keep working. You know, that is the same thing that happens in my house. Every single day, all of my children want to eat again. Like we did that yesterday. Do we have to do it again today? But evidently every single day. So I totally understand that. So after you kind of became an emergency medicine physician, where are you now in this journey? Because it didn't stop there. No, after um, medical school, I went on to do three years of emergency medicine residency and then an extra year of EMS fellowship training. And um, so now I'm uh, dual board certified as uh, emergency medicine and EMS physician. Um, I uh, did all my training in Dallas. Um, so I stayed on as faculty there at a, a med school and worked at a um, county hospital. It was a Parkland hospital the, at the time. Uh, and I think still is the busiest ER in the country. So it was a fantastic wow. place to train. Um, and then uh, working as an EMS medical director for the city of Dallas. But now I moved back home to Arkansas, where I did all my PT training and um, medical school and all my family's still here. So um, I'm doing a lot of community ERs. I work in nine different ERs right now. Wow. Anyone from a, as small as a seven bed up to about a 45 bed ED and um, working, uh, doing a lot of medical direction. Um, I uh, am medical director for a lot of helicopters around the state, um, all the state parks, um, got some law enforcement stuff that I do, some ground services. Um, so yeah, I, I love EMS and, and pre-hospital care and, and pretty much out of hospital care. So everything that uh, I do in the ED, um, I try to uh, teach that outside of the ED as well. I think that's incredible. And I think when we talk to students about clinical decision-making and critical thinking, like that's exactly what you have to do here. So I'm interested to know, how do you feel like your background in physical therapy has contributed to your decision-making as a physician? I think it gives me a different perspective um, when I, I see patients that come in, especially, you know, ones that may be a bit more disheveled, um, that maybe, uh, you know, because I understand, um, you know, home health, um, PT, uh, I, uh, did a pretty extensive rotation, uh, in PT school doing home health. You get to see, uh, patients, um, you know, especially in lower socioeconomic, uh, neighborhoods where they don't have the resources. So, you know, if I'm seeing a patient that maybe is not as, uh, adherent to their medication regimen, um, whereas maybe some physicians would be a little bit uh, demeaning towards them, 
it's a little bit different for me because, you know, I understand you got one car in the driveway that barely runs, or maybe the working family member took it. You don't have a car. You can't get to the pharmacy. You don't have enough food in your cupboards. Uh, you know, you um, just don't have the, the resources. And there's a lot of poor medical literacy uh, down in well, a lot of the areas that I work in. And so I think it uh, gives me a different perspective and a different respect, to be honest, uh, for where the background that patients come from. I think that that's so important. I, I find many times when I see a, a patient in the emergency department that what the physician team sometimes sees and what I see are very different. So I, I see that function issue. Like yesterday, I tweeted about it, an interesting case that I had where a patient the, the provider kept saying to me, we've told her repeatedly, we're not worried about it. We're not worried about it. We're not worried about it. And the patient has been seen by an orthopedist. They've been seen um, at another ED and she keeps being told that there's nothing to be worried about. But the key that was being missed was that the patient was worried about it. And she didn't really care that her imaging findings were, were normal. They didn't look normal to her. They didn't sound normal to her. She had been Googling random words on her imaging results, trying to figure out what that meant and had pretty much convinced herself that she would had a terminal disease, which I think we joke about when people do Dr. Google, you're either going to die of cancer or you're totally fine. But this woman was feeling so brushed off. And the other issue was even if everyone wasn't worried about it, she couldn't get her shirt on. She couldn't help her elderly mother. She couldn't open her business that day because her arm was hurting too much. So even though no one else was worried about it, the patient was very worried about it. And it was that lack of focus on the patient's function and the patient's worry that I think sometimes we see a little bit more deeply because we're the people that deal with function, not the people that just look at an image or just prescribe a medication and say, okay, here you go, everything's fine. Which yeah, is- absolutely. Theoretically, why you go to the ED just to be told that you're fine. But if we can help prevent that patient coming to another emergency department, going to another unnecessary specialty appointment and getting into physical therapy so she can regain her function, I think that's where we have our role in this setting. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the biggest and most frequent intervention that I give as an emergency medicine physician is reassurance. Mm. And it is something that it does not work if it's rushed. Um, nope. If you don't communicate well to uh, the a level that the patient can understand, and um, yeah, it's an art. So, what do you suggest in physical for physical therapists who are trying to come into the emergency department? How do we best demonstrate our value to the medical team who may not know what we do? I think a lot of emergency medicine physicians may not have experience with physical therapists. They're not in orthopedics. They're not in rehab. They they may not have even like had a, a like a clinical setting where they've had to encounter PTs. So tell me, how can we best like break down those barriers and get onto the team? Yeah, I think um, most emergency medicine physicians, especially those that don't have uh, any type of uh, background like that, maybe their clinical rotations, you didn't encounter any um, therapist. You as, a, as an EDPT, you would have to be very intentional about stating what you can do to improve the outcome of that patient. And that's different for different environments, you know, in the outpatient setting, um, you know, I spent the first four years doing outpatient and I was having to all the time market for patients. And yes. I would have to say, you know, I can help reduce their pain, improve their strength and agility, improve their performance, et cetera. You know, in the rehab, acute rehab setting, 
Uh, we're trying to get our patients back to their functional status, help them regain some independence. In the acute care setting um, or the ED, you know, you're reducing morbidity, preventing debilitation, especially for uh, ED uh, boarding, which is a huge problem right now. Mm -hmm. You've got admitted patients that are just imprisoned, you know, yes. in the ED for days on end. Um, but EDPTs can come down there and start to uh, mobilize them and, and all the benefits that come from, uh, you know, early out of bed activities. Um, it could be a combination of all the above for the ED. Um, I think the most value that the ED PTs bring to uh, that team is in your uh, time and your touch. Yes. Uh, you guys have the time to sit down with the patient. Uh, you can get much better histories than, than we do. You can do more detailed exams than we can. You put hands on the patient. Yes. Um, and most ED physicians, you know, right or wrong, good or bad. Um, you know, I, I hate to say that's just the way the world has become, but boy, are we rushed to see a million patients per hour. Sometimes, you know, I, I mentioned the reassurance earlier, that reassurance can come and just a hand on the shoulder. Um, as you're telling them that their test came back, you know, looking normal, uh, nothing bad or concerning on them. There's nothing dangerous or life-threatening uh, that we found here. Um, and to, to do it with a touch along with that can, can go a long way. Um, you know, you, you may have a patient that comes in with acute on chronic back pain and they're complaining about the pain and it's so easy for physicians to think that just giving them something for that pain will solve all their problems. Yeah. But deep down, they're going to be more worried about that pain becoming a permanent disability or a loss mm -hmm. of independence. And that's where you guys demonstrate your value is you come in and you say, let me go spend a little bit of time with that patient. Uh, we can uh, do a little bit more detailed history exam, talk about how this pain interferes with their daily lives. We can provide that physical touch, empower them with tools for success and improvement. And that's amazing. I, you've totally captured what I think is like the essence of it, because one of the, the feedback pieces that we got when we were tracking patient satisfaction was really the physical therapist didn't rush me. The physical therapist talked to me in words I could understand. And the physical therapist made me feel like I mattered. And the physical therapist treated me like a human. And I think we all strive to do that, no matter what our role is in the emergency department. But I think we, like you said, we are the ones who are positioned to do that. And I think we get a little more focus on that, like softer side and that like um, those non-tangible skills in PT school than maybe is provided in medical school. Oh, hundred percent. I, having gone through both curriculums, I will uh, concur <laughs> with that statement. <laughs> I think it's great. I had a question from somebody today who's been starting one of their emergency PT program and they're getting consults, but the only consults they're getting are about home safety. So what she's trying to figure out is how do I break through and really demonstrate my value with that musculoskeletal population, with that vestibular population? Like how do I break through that one trick pony perception that I can only help with this when there are so many other ways I can help impact this department. Yeah, I guess if you're in a busy enough ED where you know you have plenty of patients that fit both of those uh, demographics that um, you could offer, you know, hey, would you like me to go uh, do a, um, uh, you know, Dick's Hall Pike test on uh, that patient that's complaining of vertigo and dizziness, just to see if maybe I can elicit some uh, peripheral symptoms or not. 
most ED physicians probably did not do a Dix Hall Pike test, may have to Google a Dix Hall Pike test and then be like, yeah, that actually sounds great. You know, why don't you go do that? And it's just going to take one or two times of the PT coming back saying, so I did this test or I, you know, cranked on this ligament on this knee. And actually, I don't think it's this. I think it's this other thing instead. And you're going to be right. And then you've got a, a physician that's bought in at that point. I think that's perfect. So, and that was my experience really was, I I remember one situation where I came out of a patient room and I had seen this patient for low back pain and the physician would like ask me like 18 questions in a row. Like I was a resident, like, tell me this, 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 this. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it was, it was a very stressful experience because we don't, we don't treat students like that. Right. Like we are very much like, oh, share your findings with me. But he was like, question after question after question. And then finally he was like, I have to tell you, I've learned that physical therapist bedside examination skills are outstanding. Your differential diagnosis is on point and I no longer have any concerns. So I'm going to continue to have you come see these patients. And then he said, do you just have a general exercise handout? I can give people with low back. (laughs) And I said, do you just have like a general antibiotic I can take when I don't feel great? (laughs) And he was like, okay, point taken. Like that's absolutely valuable information because they were treating back pain. Like it was this thing that you just give one thing to, and it will magically Mm -hmm. be better without really looking at the components of that back pain. What was causing that? What would be the right way to treat that? So now we're, so we're like such great partners in this setting that after I do a low back pain evaluation, the physician might say, do you think they would benefit from a muscle relaxer or do you not feel this is a muscular issue? So I'm not prescribing anything. I'm not making any recommendations about medic- medication, but I am telling them what I think the nature of the issue is to allow them to make a better differential diagnosis and treatment plan for the patient. So I think that partnership is what we're, we're striving for. Yep, absolutely. As man, they were pimping you when you came out of that room. That's oh. the old school way of yeah. uh, faculty, you know, training their residents. Um, well, no. and I, I, I try to give it back to them a little bit now when I'm a little bit concerned about treatment plans. And I talk to residents about their treatment plans as well. And I think because we have such a collaborative learning environment, the residents are super excited to learn. I try to take them with me if I am going to do a hall pike and yeah. teach them how to do the Epley maneuver. I make them hold the vomit bag though. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, like, that's your job. Your job is to hold the vomit bag. You only stand in the way one time in your career. Exactly. I think that's valid. Okay. So tell me, I have another question for you. When we are trying to communicate with the medical team, sometimes I feel like we maybe don't know everything that we need to know or don't know everything that we think we know. And sometimes we also like to be me personally, a little long-winded when I'm talking about things, especially if I'm excited about them. So what is like Tell me, what is the best way to get our point across, be taken seriously, and like really advocate for patients in this setting? Yeah, you know, um, that one is probably a little bit easier. Um, and, And this is embarrassing to say, but as EM physicians, we have short attention spans and we don't like long stories. Um, just give it to us straight. You got about six seconds before we're going to be interrupted with something, you know, sign this EKG, answer this phone call, the consultants over here wanting to talk to you about a patient, um, you know, you name it. So if, 
if you've got something that you feel pretty strongly about a physical exam finding or a differential on the patient that would change the trajectory of what we're currently doing, mm -hmm. just come out and, and say it. Now you may have, um, you know, some docs that may be a bit more argumentative uh, than others. Some you may get their attention and, and they'll ask you, well, um, well, tell me about your findings that led you to think that, they may want to have an academic discussion with you. It really just depends on the environment and how busy everything seems. If you have an, a more kind of argumentative physician, um, like, you know, you say, hey, doc, that vertigo that you sent me to do an epileon, I'm actually kind of worried it may be more central vertigo um, and you should consider getting an MRI. I can tell you, I am already signing the MRI order before you're done talking, but that's I know, you know, what y'all bring to the, the table. Um, some other docs may want to hear, well, what exactly were your findings? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if, if they're more argumentative, maybe then you have to kind of go to the evidence. You know, what do mm -hmm. the clinical decision rules say about whether or not we should get imaging here? What does the latest evidence say about how we should treat this wound that you want to look at. Um, in the end, it's kind of hard to argue with science and evidence, although the last three years have taught us people will do it anyway. Yeah. Um, so always be up to date on the latest evidence. Um, and if you have that type of uh, scholarly or academic discussion, you're going to win over most EM docs. Okay, I love that. So rapid fire, critical information delivery know your stuff and stand your ground and uh have have a uh, article or two or some latest evidence to uh, back it up especially if you're trying to change the trajectory of that patient i love that i do round with our medical team probably about once a month and share an article with them do they read it i don't know but i try to have something that like from the physical therapy literature or or the medical literature that kind of backs up our practice in the emergency department last month it was an article about patient perceptions about low back pain and why they were coming to the emergency department for low back pain and what their expectations were and how they felt about how they were treated and how their experience was with physical therapy and that came out of northwestern so that was really helpful for our docs to kind of take a look at and be like, okay, this is why patients are coming. And this is something that we can do to improve their current situation beyond just reassurance. Yeah. Contrary to what most EM docs believe they're, they are not there for the pain pill. I think that's true. That has not really been my experience. Most of the time, my experience is they're usually there because of the fear and mm -hmm. the, what if, what if I can't get out of bed tomorrow? What if I can't go back to work? What if this never stops? Yep. And that we can totally address as physical therapists. We can normalize that. Yep. All right. So my last question for you is about over-medicalization and how much we're doing to patients, particularly in the emergency department. It, it seems like there are trends of over-imaging. There are trends of over-testing. There are trends of people being worked up for things that maybe they didn't need to be that are causing increased costs, decreased um, speed of care and like stress. What do, what do you think about that? And like, what are, what are ways that we as physical therapists can help combat that? Yeah, that's, um, that is definitely a problem. And, you know, today's world, it unfortunately is very, um, medical legal driven. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that our time with each patient encounter is being challenged uh, to become quicker and more efficient. 
And sometimes it is easier just to order that test because I can get three to five minutes worth of information from you, walk out of the room, place a bunch of orders, go see the next patient. And then an hour or two later, all those results are back. And um, instead I could have spent maybe 10 minutes in that room, got more information, talked to you more, not had to order all those tests, but then I wouldn't be able to see as many patients per hour. So it's, it's an ugly balancing act uh, that all the time is something that we think about, you know, most um, ED physicians were, were overworked and task saturated. We're juggling a thousand flaming swords in the air. There's all kinds of interruptions, task switching. We're signing EKGs and answering phones, talking to families, arguing with consultants or families, um, talking to EMS, constantly advocating for our patients in a broken system, you know, always trying to figure out who's dying the fastest, who needs us now. We're worrying about the ones we've discharged. We're worrying about the ones sitting out in the waiting room who we haven't been able to see yet. Um, you know, all while being told our metrics are terrible and our charts aren't detailed enough. We're not seeing patients fast enough. It's exhausting. Yeah. That worry in the back of our mind probably is what drives a lot of the overordering mm. of tests. Uh, just it's easier to order tests than to miss something. Um, yeah. You know, clinical decision rule says, well, you don't have to order that ankle x-ray because you know, Ottawa says you don't have to order it. The uh, Canadian C-spine says, I don't have to get the CT uh, on that, that C-spine. But a lot of times you're sitting there, you know, in the back of your mind thinking, you know, how do I justify that on the stand if I'm ever having to defend not ordering it? Well, this rule said I didn't have to. So you guys, you know, as EDPTs coming in, like I said, you have that, that time and that touch that is so invaluable that um, is being taken away from physicians that, you know, 50 years ago, maybe we did <laughs> used to have that. Um, and it's, it's not there now. And so you guys would, your presence in the ED would probably, if you could do a before and after study uh, on uh, implementation of an EDPT, would probably see that you are decreasing uh, the number of x-rays and CTs and MRIs that are ordered on these patients without any change in outcomes. You know, you yeah. high sensitivity and specificity. We're not missing stuff. And we, and that has been shown in the literature. So it's, it's good to hear you say that you have faith that we could do that. And I think you're right. We, we can back you up with extra exam findings and, and reassurance because then you know that that patient got a really thorough exam and they had a really thorough functional assessment. So probably less likely to miss something. But I also understand what you mean because there are times in the emergency department, particularly with patients who I know don't have follow-up, especially those patients that I think, man, I really, I really hope that wasn't wrong. And those, those folks that wake you up at two o'clock in the morning and you're like, Ooh, I hope they're okay. And they kind of stick with you a little bit. Those ones that you're a little on the fence. I had one patient who I did the most thorough neuro exam I've ever done in my life. And there just like, wasn't any like real big thing, but my spidey senses were like, there's just something like wrong. And this patient had great follow-up. And I told her all the reasons to come back. But there was nothing there for me to like push for a further workup or push for her to stay. 
24 hours later, she was back and had a full medical workup and had probably the worst like amount of white matter lesions I've seen in somebody with a new MS diagnosis. And so it was one of those things where it was just like something wasn't right, but I couldn't quantify it. And again, that's not an emergency, an MS diagnosis, obviously that can happen in an outpatient setting, but it it's things like that where I just worry, like, what am I missing? Yeah. And yeah, I graduated PT schools 17 years ago now seems hard to believe. Um, but yeah, going back to my early EMS days altogether, about 21 years of, of treating patients, I don't sleep well anymore. (laughs) There's a lot of, of people that I think about, um, that keep me up at night or during me up during the day when I'm, you know, working night shifts. So, um, there's, there's a lot of value in having uh, more time spent with patients. And I, I tell residents a lot, like, this is why we give ER return precautions. Yeah. Uh, because we, we will not see everything, find everything, diagnose everything. Sometimes, you know, not every symptom has a diagnosis. And sometimes um, just on the spectrum of pathology out there from it hasn't quite shown up yet all the way to just full um, blast pathology. They may be presenting to you very early in the spectrum yeah. of that disease where you're not going to find it. So yeah. I, I try to give some reassurance to my learners that um, we will miss things. We're human. It's going to happen, but you teach patients. Here's what to look for. If it gets worse, you come back to see us. Um, and yeah, getting follow-up is even more challenging. There's a reason the EDs are so overcrowded right now because it's hard to get into the outpatient environment. So For sure. Physical the therapy included, folks. Yeah. The emergency rooms have become the convenience rooms uh, a lot over the last few years, and, and we do a lot of primary care in the ED. Yeah, which is really not not how we want any of that to be, I think. And and it, it's not just primary care, it's specialty care, it's physical therapy. It's like just access in general is so low. But I tell you what, this week is the first week that we haven't had borders on the two days that I worked in, I feel like years. So it was a very, very nice couple of days to just feel like this is what the emergency room is supposed to feel like. Yeah. Nice. I hope that you get a couple of days like that at one of your nine EDs that you're working at. Uh, it's been several weeks since I've had a day like that, but we can only All right. I have two final questions for you. Want your final thoughts. The first is if you were talking to somebody like another physician who was considering implementing a physical therapist practice in the emergency department, what would you tell them to do? Um, yeah. So if one of my EDs asked me, you know, tomorrow about what do you think about adding ED PTs to our team? Um, there would be a lot of, uh, cheering and clapping, standing ovations maybe. Um, but I would, uh, share with them the, pretty much what I said here, the value that they would bring to our team with, um, doing more detailed exams, histories, times with the patient touch reassurance. Um, of course, most people want to hear a financial value. So yes, Mm -hmm. you all will cost money. You don't work for free. Um, Yeah, I know who wants to do that anymore. (laughs) Um, But then um, we, you would return that value and um, maybe uh, reduce ED bounce backs. 
um, overutilization of tests and especially in, um, you know, patients who have had uh, multiple exams, uh, uh, imaging exams over the last, you know, pick your time frame, a month, three months, whatever. Um, so yeah, we, we would talk uh, about the um, intrinsic value, the financial value, uh, things like that. Perfect. And then my last question is, because I talk to people about this a lot, there are people who want to pivot in their career, but they don't feel like they can do it because of financial reasons, because they're afraid to make a change, but they are really just not happy where they are, no matter what job that is. You're like the king of the pivot <laughs> and staying true to your path. So tell me, what would you tell somebody who comes to you and says, I, you know, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I'm thinking about a career change, but I don't know if it's worth it. I've had a lot of people uh, reach out to me over the last uh, 15 years asking that very question. And, um, you know, for, for my path specifically, I, going into medicine was something that took me a couple years to kind of come to terms with and took a lot of people convincing me to do it. At the time, I had um, two kids, uh, four now, I had uh, two at the time, and was really hesitant on, you know, how disruptive is this going to be to my family? Mm -hmm. I have a good career now. Um, do I want to go back to school, you know, for all those years, the financial uh, investment in that I decided to take out a ton of loans. Um, it was, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and so the, the thing that I tell most people who ask me that question is, um, you know, are you doing it because you're not happy where you're currently at, or are you doing it because you really, really want to do that new thing? And it has to be the second uh, answer. So if you're not happy with where you're at and you're just looking for something else, then you're in danger of, you know, the grass is going to be greener on the other side. Yeah. And it definitely will not be, um, you know, my, my life was much easier as a PT. I enjoyed uh, that work. It is, um, significantly more challenging now, but you know, there's also a lot of reward in what I do. So you, you have to be doing it because you really, really want to do that, that new thing, you know, I don't know, whatever you're thinking of, like for me with medicine, like I really, really wanted to be an EMS physician. And that was a, a 10 year investment <laughs> that I was yeah. going to have to make. So, um, it, I just kept my eye on that goal the whole time. And, um, you know, when you started medical school, um, I was a non-traditional student, you know, going the path that I did, they tell you, well, you got to keep an open mind and, um, you know, what specialty do you want to do? That's what everybody was asking early on. And they thought, well, because you're a PT, oh, well, you, you want to do PM&R or ortho. I was like, no, I'm doing emergency medicine. Like really, it's the first week of med school. Like you got to keep an open mind. I'm like, that's cute. No, I got nowhere <laughs> I want. <laughs> um, you know, I was 30 years old with two kids when I went back to med school. So um, you uh, you got to keep your eye on on that goal because uh, no matter what you do, what career, there's going to be days where you hate it and question uh, your life choices. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, you got to really, really want it. And I'm, I am happy to be a resource for any of your listeners that are considering that. And, you know, if they want to reach out, you can share my, uh, my email and, and Twitter handle and all that with them and they can reach out. Well, why don't you tell people how to find you on Twitter for sure? 
Yeah, of course. Um, so my Twitter handle is at B Morshedi, M-D, uh, at B-M-O-R-S-H-E-D-I-M-D. Um, you can message me on there. I'll, I'll be happy to, um, you know, meet with you. Uh, if you're close by, I'll take you out for coffee or drinks, whatever your choice is. Uh, if you're far away, we can, uh, you know, meet virtually or email. And, um, I'm flexible. I don't mind at all. Well, I so, so greatly appreciate your perspective and your time with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, you're doing amazing work out there. Thanks. Doing our best, right? Okay. So thank you guys for listening um, to In the ED Now with Dr. Rebecca Griffith and Dr. Morshetti. Thank you for listening. In the ED Now is a podcast hosted and produced by Rebecca Griffith, the ED DPT, as part of Rebecca Griffith Physical Therapy, LLC. Our podcast makes you an excellent emergency department physical therapist. This podcast is intended for educational use only and is not intended as clinical or medical advice. While we make every effort for accuracy, factual errors may be present. Since you've been in the ED, I'm prepared to give you your discharge instructions. Please subscribe, share, and find more at the eddpt.com. You're officially discharged. Oh, <laughs>